this is Kat. And this is Phoebe. We are Feminine Chaos. I'm feeling extremely oppressed right now. How so? I literally was pressed upon this morning. I got to have my annual mammogram, which is a... Are you are you in the club now of the mammogram getters? I'm not because I'm in Canada. I'm in Canada. So I'm actually 10 years younger because I live in Canada. It, it <laughs> de-ages you. <laughs> Oh man. Well this just this just goes to show how arbitrary it is. Yeah, like I was informed last year after I turned forty that I have to get them every year and I was like, Do I really? And they, they said yes and then they looked at me like I was being like a weird baby for not wanting to. But it is so uncomfortable. I don't understand why people don't talk about this more, like how incredibly unpleasant it is and um also why there's not like a movement to question the necessity of this or to find some better way a more comfortable way right yeah. yeah you know there's there's always that thing where people say like nobody ever talks about this this is actually a thing that nobody ever talks about <laughs> this is very painful it's like having your boobs smushed in like the door of a refrigerator but like in super slow motion over and over again i'm really unhappy about it i feel like people talk about paps being painful Oh, I would rather get like a hundred pap smears. Oh, than... really? Oh, boy. Okay. So... I don't, maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe more like a dozen. <laughs> well, um, if I make it to 50 and get socialized medicine mammogrammed one day, I will... Uh... May, may you be so lucky. Well, now that we've um, you know sent the mail part of our listener base like out the door screaming, uh, what are we talking about today? Well, we are talking about the deliciousness of hats. And how it's very important if you say, I'll eat my hat to have a hat that you want to eat, because you might just have to eat your hat. If you say, I'll eat my hat, if such and such turns out to be the case, what if it does? What if it does? That, it just occurred to me that there's a hat called a pork pie. That's, Perfect. That's, that's, that's the only hat you would probably want to, um, trying to think if there are any other types of hat. Um, that also are a food? Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, there's a beret, there's a sombrero, mm-hmm. um, there's a turban, there's a, there's a fedora. I don't think there's any. I think there's only the pork pie. I completely pictured it as a fedora in this case. Is that wrong? I just like that. You have to summon a hat. And I was kind of picturing that style just maybe because it's Twitter and I don't know. It makes sense. But anyway, so somebody named Martha Lincoln, who I don't know, who's at Heavy Redaction, tweeted, if even one of the 150 signatures of six, I can't speak, signers of the 2020 Harper's letter on, quote, cancel culture has a comment about Michael Eisen's dismissal from the editor-in-chiefship of eLife, I will eat my hat. To which uh, Stephen Bank um, replied with like a tweet that I had, one of my tweets, <laughs> imagine the celebrity, um, where I had written, um, well, I'm, without having seen this, well, I'm one of those Harper's Letter people, and I bet I have very different politics from this person, and I don't think people should be fired for RTing Onion articles. Good grief. So Michael Eisen was uh, the editor at eLife. He was removed from his position. For- we will talk about this. Yes, there's a lot. There are a lot. There are a lot of weird angles to this, and I, we will get to, get to them. But what I just I want to talk about first before we get to his specific case mm-hmm. was that not only had I said this, but like I was at least one of at least two at this point, And his tweet had been from like three hours before people who literally not people who vaguely were for free speech, people who literally were on the Harper's letter who had already said this seems ridiculous. Um, so her hat, Martha Lincoln, um, better be 
pretty uh, delicious. Yeah, I hope it tasted good, Martha Lincoln. Well, you know, I actually noticed this because, um, I don't know, I think because you had uh, posted a link to it or or something. And the thing that struck me was that at the time she tweeted this, somebody replied and said, already happened. Um, and she was like, I'm shocked. And that just... I mean, I was shocked that she was shocked. This this is such a fascinating thing to me. And by fascinating, I mean infuriating. Because every single time there's some kind of, you know, like to do with respect to free speech um, where somebody on the left is being canceled for speech, invariably somebody comes out of the woodwork and is like, I'm sure the Harper's letter signers will be all <laughs> over this. And then immediately, like, like from the moment they tweet it, they already they are already wrong. They're already so wrong because the Harper's Letter signers have, in fact, already spoken out about it. Like, maybe not every single one of them because, you know... Some are dead. Well, some are dead. And there's also not, like, a bat phone that goes off every single time there's, like, a free speech issue in the world where all the Harper's Letter signers, like, suddenly there's an alarm in your house blaring that you have to go on Twitter and make a comment about it. Um, I, I assume they're still trying to arrange one because it's obviously very urgent that every time this happens that we all, like, get up and say something instantly. But, like, at what point are people going to stop expressing this, I'm sorry, but profoundly stupid sentiment where they're incorrect, at what point are they going to stop being surprised at how wrong they are? Like, why not revisit your priors eventually? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this happens also with, with like, FIRE, um, the free speech organization, mm -hmm. immediately, like, had something, I don't know if it's immediately, whatever, they had something about, like, DeSantis and all of this stuff there where they're, you know, against it. And it's just like, how can you be surprised at this point? It seems like there are maybe a couple of people who are not consistent on this issue, maybe. I don't even know. I'm not really following everybody's business that closely. But it doesn't seem like there is any kind of rampant hypocrisy in this area. Um, and I think sometimes people get a little confused where, like, if you're, you can be pro-free speech and not agree with all the speech that you think should be allowed to happen. And that's kind of the point, the whole yeah. defend your right to say it. Like, I don't think people should be, you know, fired for retweeting or although we will talk about this we'll talk about the specific case was he fired and was it for retweeting to kind of complicate more complicated questions than you might think but the point is it doesn't like somebody's not being a hypocrite if they have politics and support free speech does that make you know what i mean like that's not yeah it's not suppressing one side of speech to just have different politics from it no, of course like, not. I mean, you know, there's, yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you said. I don't know if there, I mean, maybe there's a signatory or two who are, who are less consistent on this, but like for the most part, everybody who signed the Harper's letter did so because they genuinely hold a principled commitment to free, free speech and freedom of expression. And I'm just, I'm, I'm genuinely getting a little bit sick of this idea that like the thing to do when there's 
a free speech threat against somebody on the left is to get online and ask where the Harper's letter signers are. Because number one, they're always already there. So (laughs) maybe, maybe calm your tits. And um, number two, is this really the best use of your time? Like, you know, the idea that, that it all hinges on what this group of 150 people are or are not saying, like, why not just... Instead of instead of, you know, I don't know, this it's this, like this hunt for hypocrisy, like everyone's dying to find somebody, um, you know, being inconsistent with their stated values. Why not just take it face value that these are the person's values and and talk about the fact that it's actually important to preserve a culture of free speech because it does eventually come for you no matter what side you're on if you don't maintain those norms. Yeah, I mean, another thing that I'm wondering about is whether people are being called out for free speech hypocrisy who are not not necessarily as individuals, but like whether that that general accusation is being, um, one is tempted to say levied is sort of appropriate in this context, and people who are just like Jewish or and or pro-Israel and have had no particular stance on speech and are not active in a free speech movement and are just people who are, you know, like if if you're... Like, like, I think there's a bit of this kind of, you know, the phenomenon where somebody says, like, where they're calling out hypocrisy, not on not saying that an individual holds contradictory positions, but saying, like, your team thought this, but now your team thinks that. And I would say that, like, what so there are, you know, if, if somebody is saying that there shouldn't be big pro-Palestinian protests on campuses because it's um, upsetting to Jewish students there, if somebody's saying that. You have to know who that somebody is and what their stance was on other things before you start saying that they're a hypocrite. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, yeah. Like, maybe they are, maybe they're not. Maybe they never had any particular stance. And you can't say, see, like you were talking about snowflakes before. Who knows what they were talking about before? These are all different people with different politics. And um, But yeah, this particular case, though. Um, so Michael Eisen, who I have Googled, and I'm looking this up, um, He's a professor who, as part of his role, it seems like, was the editor-in-chief of a journal. Mm-hmm. So he he was not, that not that this means it wasn't cancel culture, but he was not fired as in the, like, livelihood style. Like, he still has a job. He's, mm-hmm. it seems like he is a, he's 56, he's a professor. It seems like probably tenured, I would assume. Um, does it say somewhere? Um, I don't know. I don't know what his current academic statuses but the point is like i I don't think that necessarily matters all that much in the end because i think like professional setbacks or professional setbacks and like i don't know if if that's the main thing it all hinges on but when i first saw this i assumed oh this is some journalist who is out of a job which it isn't does that make sense Right. Yeah. Okay. Fun fact. Also, um, Michael Eisen, I don't know if you remember this, but he was at the center of a firestorm many years back in, uh, I guess, maybe 2020. He tweeted that roundworms are the most overrated animal. And, um, (laughs) and it became an insane, like, there was a meltdown and there was a huge dog pile and he was accused of like microaggressing and being a racist and a sexist um, because he had, you know, he had joked and, and in doing so slandered the noble roundworm. Oh my goodness. Do you remember this? I miss that. No, I don't remember that at all. Oh man. I, I'll, I'll include a link to a, the story about this in the show notes. Okay. Please do. Please do. Cause I want to, I want to read up on that. 
so it was pointed out to me on on Twitter that he was also so he was not Michael Eisen claimed to have been dismissed for retweeting the onion. It seems that he actually quote tweeted and endorsed the onion. I don't know whether this is like I think how you explain what happened to you in a tweet, which is a limited number of characters and all that. I don't know whether the difference between retweet. I mean, yes, it says it, it tells you that he endorsed and didn't just retweet. But I don't know like how much hinges on that. It, it's it matters a little. I don't know how much do you think it matters. I mean, what I thought was interesting was like you know he didn't just endorse. He said specifically that the onion had like greater moral clarity yes. or moral yes. character, or something like that, than um, the what then what like every every like, university head or something like that yeah right right and so like to be clear i don't think it's right that this man was removed from his position as the editor of e-life for having you know even for having made like an intemperate um tweet but i do think he is being somewhat weaselly to describe the circumstances surrounding this as a retweet. That's not what it was. He made a comment. He, you know, he made a comment that was received in a certain way. And this is something that like, again, I'm, I'm coming at this from the perspective of thinking that nobody really should ever be fired for speech, you know, or at least not speech that's happening outside the workplace. I wrote a tweet thread about this, you know, trying to kind of like articulate how much I think people should not be fired. Please, and, please link to it in the... Yes, and the, I will. Yes. Um, but... Say, like that said, I've noticed that a lot of the discussions of people being canceled for quote unquote, you know, like just retweeting, like merely retweeting or for merely supporting Palestine or merely articulating their dismay at the violence in the Middle East. If you go to investigate what they actually said, it's invariably something more inflammatory than that. And I wish that people would just like not beat around the bush with respect to this. I wish that when people wanted to talk about like, you know, I've been I've been fired or I've been canceled or whatever for having said a thing, I wish that they would just describe accurately what it is that they said. Because like, you know, if you believe that it's not right to fire people for speech, then surely you should just articulate uh, accurately what it is that was said. If you feel compelled to like soften the language or use language that obscures like the actuality of what was said, I don't know. I, I think that there's something telling about that. Yeah. I mean, I think that I guess what I keep coming back to is that I think if you're speaking out in your capacity as a Harper's letter signatory who doesn't want to you know, come across as a hypocrite or who wants to just be clear about what your position is or whatever. I don't think you have to, in that capacity, investigate or even make a claim that you did investigate the case in its full whatever, because not just that there might be more to it in terms of what they said and the, like there's the speech issues. Who who knows what sort of worker somebody was in some context? Who knows what else was going on at their work? Maybe their boss has a vendetta against them. There's nothing to do with any of this. You know what I mean? Like, who knows what's actually happening in a workplace? You know what I mean? And I mm -hmm. think the idea that, like, you know because you saw a tweet, I don't think you can know. I think all you can say is somebody shouldn't be fired for retweeting The Onion. And I don't think that to say that means that you know that for with confidence that anybody was. I don't think somebody should be fired for retweeting The Onion. 
I don't know what, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that, I think if you're writing an article about it, yeah, you have to look into that case, sure. But I don't think that, like, when I see it, I just think, okay, like, that's, the, yeah, all right, that's that's a pretty simple one. Um, but yeah, I think it is interesting, though, what, what happens when you look in, into some of these, for sure. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just more the taking at face value that, like, all I did was retweet the onion, and then it turns out, well, no, that's not actually all you did, so why are you not just telling the truth? Like, I mean, personally, I would still support, like, I still support him not being fired, despite what he tweeted being much more, um, you know, not just a retweet and being, like, much more strident than he's basically, like, openly admitting. Um, so, I don't know. I... Maybe I'm doing too much psychoanalysis of of the people who are doing this, but I I just I I think it's very strange that they've chosen to like kind of expressly obscure the truth in this case, and um, you know I wish that people would just like rediscover the benefits of a principled um, kind of across the board commitment to free speech and and leave it there. Oh, but can we talk about? Um, the Hitler fanboy that the New York Times hired. This is wasn't we didn't plan to, but it's kind of relevant. I have not followed this. You you can tell me about this. I've seen like a little bit about it, but I have not. I have no uh, knowledge. Okay, let me find. I I saw this yesterday, and I thought it was very funny. I mean, like not funny, haha, but also like there there's something absurd about it basically the new york times in an effort to get better coverage in gaza which is a place where reporters are struggling to gain access for you know reasons that i probably do not need to articulate they've hired on a freelancer whose name oh god <laughs> i'm going to mess this up solomon hiji um, a freelance videographer, and he's in Gaza documenting what's happening there. Hiji, I'm just reading from this screenshot, on numerous occasions over the past 11 years, Hiji has praised Adolf Hitler or invoked the Nazi leader in social media postings. Um, this is very straightforward. It's like, you know, just just outright fangirling for Hitler, this guy is doing. <laughs> the Times has nevertheless hired him on to assist with their reporting in Gaza. And in the, you know, this has been brought up to them, like, are they aware of, of the fact that they have hired a Hitler fanboy? Uh, excuse me, a spokesperson for the Times, this is again reading from this, this screenshot, says the paper reviewed those problematic postings last year when the issue was first raised and took actions, quote, to ensure he understood our concerns and could adhere to our standards. I find this fascinating because, number one, the New York Times is a place where, like, not that long ago, a reporter, a veteran reporter, was ousted for saying the N-word in a conversation about people using the N-word. The use mention. Yes, the it was the use mention distinction. He was talking to a bunch of high school students. This was Donald McNeil. Um, he was talking to a bunch of high school students who were describing a a classmate or or a peer who had been kicked out of school or something you know, censured in some way for saying the n-word and he asked did she say and then he actually said the word um and you know and and a firestorm ensued and he lost his job because he had quote unquote lost the newsroom according to dean Baquet, you know who who let him go and um 
I just think it's very, very funny that like the use mentioned distinction, way too nuanced for the New York Times circa 2021, uh, literally praising Hitler, being like, I fucking love Hitler. Like here we have to allow for the fact that there are shades of gray. Well, I think it's it's interesting, but I don't think it's very complicated. I think that it's been sort of decided that, you know, Jews are the white people, Israelis are the white people. It's always punching up. All anti-Jewish stuff could be plausibly construed as fighting for Palestine. Doesn't matter if it even has anything to do with Israel. Doesn't matter if it's helpful to Palestinians. It's all some form of the same struggle. And it's all the same struggle as every other progressive fight. Somebody who would have said something pro-Hitler in this context would have been really doing so as a righteous, marginalized person. It's fine. It's different. It's not the same as a white person using the N-word, even in use mention. That is, that's not my stance. I'm saying that's, I think, how how that um, viewpoint sees things. Um, Interesting. You know, I, I'm going to, I think I disagree somewhat. Like, I want to be wrong, if that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... I would guess that the New York Times did find itself in something of a bind here because it is difficult for journalists to get access in Gaza. And, you know, like, I hate to say it, but being a Hitler praiser in this context may also mean that you are granted access within Gaza, um, you know, to, to get footage that another person would not be able to get. They're like... You love Hitler. We love Hitler, too. Like, welcome, fellow Jew hater. Like, come on in. Bring your camera. Come hang out. Whereas somebody who doesn't like Hitler maybe wouldn't receive such a friendly reception, wouldn't receive such access. And I do understand how, like, if you're trying in a situation where, like... You've got the fog of war going on, like the details of what's happening in Gaza are very opaque. You have an opportunity potentially to get footage that you would not otherwise be able to have. You maybe make a trade-off. You say, okay, the guy loves Hitler, but he's also got great access. Um, the thing is, like, I don't know, and I've been going back and forth on this. So it's the, it's the classic work thing of make yourself indispensable. <laughs> right. Bring your whole self to work your whole <laughs> hitler loving self um but the thing is like in in doing this i feel like everything this guy reports everything he brings them is also going to have to like kind of have an asterisk next to it do note this footage is being brought to you by a person who loves hitler like so his credibility as a reporter is severely compromised by the fact that he has these obvious biases on the other hand we know he has them and we can take that into account um the thing that that's been complicated about this is there are some people who believe that being a fan of hitler um openly should basically disqualify you from not just being a reporter but from having any job at all which i i sympathize with that feeling because i do find this guy's views repulsive but i think as a solution like journalistically it's completely unworkable yeah yeah i don't know um i think i i want to think your way <laughs> yeah I don't know. It's hard because it's like you know you get like emotionally wrapped up in it. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to decouple my intellectual position from my like emotional revulsion. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm feeling very um, pessimistic about the world, which is bad. Not good to feel pessimistic about the world, but um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, know, I think another thing with the speech thing seems to be like, I feel like there's this way where if you're, if you want to say that you care about free speech, you have to pretend that somebody being like gently, gently criticized at work for having posted something online is actually the same as basically like them being tortured. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you have to, you have to pretend like, I don't think people should be fired for speech. I also don't think those are like the, the people fired for speech are the world's biggest victims as a rule. And that that's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that that's, that has to follow. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it's like, if I don't think that this uh, Michael Eisen should have lost his position, it's not because I like feel for him more than I feel for anybody else on the planet at this particular time. Um, it's, well, frankly, in my case, it is that I think that this just helps, um, helps the wrong side frankly i think to i mean it, it's the it's the principles about the free speech but it's also and not unrelated that i think suppressing speech just um makes the people saying the thing yeah uh kind of helps their case which uh yeah i don't think is good um can we talk about uh the how somebody came to tweet lesbala <laughs> <laughs> yes Yes, let's uh, let's let's take a turn out of this somewhat depressing topic and into a, a more absurd one. It's a good time. Yes, yes. So I know I read on Twitter that if you criticize uh, Greta Thunberg for anything, it's um, power imbalance because she's twenty, right? So how dare I, speaking in her style, how dare I um, talk about some college students being that I'm a grown up but college students mere children of ages approximately 18 to 22 if they're um traditional age students which at this school we're going to talk about they generally are Columbia uh <laughs> this is some tweet from Blake Flayton that says the let he's he's talking about it he's not supporting it obviously should be clear. Um, the lesbian club at Columbia, Lion Les, says, quote, Zionists aren't, aren't invited to their upcoming movie night, says, quote, only white Jews are allowed to live in Israel, and says, quote, white Jewish people are today and always have been the oppressors of all brown people. And indeed, here's a flyer about this, this um, black lesbian films being shown um, on, oh, it's tomorrow, October 27th. Ooh. There's there's still time. There's still time to um at the time of our recording. I'm to... crashing this party. It's it's not that far away. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um although I don't think you'd be allowed in. And it's this I guess I I'm trying to figure out where this text is coming from that accompanies it. Was this like part of the Facebook post about it or something? Um but it's uh it's some whole thing about how um Basically, oh yeah. Well, one thing: no white Jewish people in Palestine are not dying on a large scale. Um, it says I don't even know. I'm trying to figure out what this text even is and where it's coming from. Like, I don't want to misinformation everybody, but it seems like it's probably the person organizing this event. Um, but it's all about um, I, I don't know. I'm a little bit confused. I'm a little bit confused about what I'm even looking at. But um, what I just thought was interesting about this is that um it's a something that i feel very spared um as a as a straight lady <laughs> that nobody expects straight people or whatever you know cishets as as they as the saying goes uh to have a particular stance on these topics right like 
there's no certain like there's queers for Palestine, right? Which is in itself very which is in itself paradoxical. That's it. That's it. That's its own question. That's its <laughs> own. That's certainly its own question, and we can certainly delve into it as well if you want. But, um, but there's no assumption that because you're straight, you have any view on on these topics. And I think it would be very frustrating if, by sheer fact of your sexual orientation, you um, <laughs> to, you were a, sort of roped into having some kind of stance that perhaps even a somewhat counterintuitive one um, on these issues anyway. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about how how strange and inconvenient it would be if in addition to like, you know, when you are are doled out by, I don't know, the universe or uh, or nature or what, I don't know. I don't know who gives you sexual orientation. Keanu Reeves gave me mine. <laughs> You're you're lining up in the ether before you're born to receive all of the things that you're gonna get, and you get you know you get your nose and you get your chin and you get your um, taste in food and you get your sexual orientation. Um, if they also handed out like as a package deal with your sexual orientation a, a bunch of politics that you then just were like, yep, those are also mine. <laughs> I don't know, like it's. Um, it's sort of like the bundling thing where, you know, you get like the one streaming service and then you also have to like go with a certain cell phone provider. <laughs> I, it's it just seems like it, it might get complicated. Yes. I mean, I think like every time this comes up, uh, somebody points out that if you're actually, you know, gay or bi or trans or otherwise, you know, queer that you're better off like in Israel perhaps than uh, under Hamas but um we should we know? should probably just make sure that like you're you're being very dry here but yes. um like the uh Palestine is is a place where if you are gay and it's known that you're gay um there's a very good chance that you'll be thrown off a building or have your head cut off right right yeah. um yeah which yeah. is not fun Although I thought that I, I've been, but I've been reading all these tweets about how the hostages hostages are having a nice time. So surely, um, but how many surely, of them are gay? Are they having a gay time? A gay old time? Yeah. yeah. Well, some of them are very old. Um, yes, it's uh, yeah, it's. I mean, there's the whole thing with the the queers for Palestine angle. I mean, it, a part of me is just like it's not my lane. Let them figure it out. I don't know. Like it's. If you want to have some kind of like hyper left thing, and that's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's weird. Like, I, I, but conversely, I'm seeing that a lot of, I think I probably am repeating myself because I think I said this when we podcasted last time, but like the fact that the sort of gender critical side or whatever seems to be like very pro Israel, kind of like, even though these sometimes are a lot of people I have on certain points agreement with, I will like, I find it weird when something splits like this when two totally unrelated issues split like that where everybody who thinks one thing on one issue thinks this other thing on this other issue and it's like there's no reason it would have to line up mm -hmm. um but but yeah this anyway somebody then um maddie aharon uh tweeted lesbolah about this which was as um, like as in hezbollah but with an yes, l yes yes and that that just stuck with me somehow from this um yeah i mean i think it would i think it would really suck to be like um <laughs> having to sort of 
like how how do you how do you deal with that 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 would suck and i think um i feel uh like this is a, a form of straight privilege i never really had thought about before this that i i'm allowed to you know have my sexual orientation and my thoughts about the middle east without having to justify that yeah yeah, yeah you really are getting to eat your cake and have it in this way and uh, i hope you appreciate i was going to make an eating remark that was going to be a little obscene so i won't um (laughs) (laughs) but anyway (laughs) moving on um, it is it is funny that like i mean because of the way that in the u.s we just love to like appropriate everything to you know and and like slam it into the mold of our particular incredibly stupid culture wars um and we love to like you know make it every everything has to become a team sport um that you end up with something like this where you've got this poster that's like um or or this this proclamation from the black lesbian film club that's like not only completely divorced from the reality of what I think it's, it's just the I think it's the lesbian club showing black lesbian films oh, I don't okay. think that the lesbians themselves are anyway. I mean yeah, the black lesbian film club I guess would have like very very few members so um it's just that's just not a lot of people. That's too intersectional. It's it is, <laughs> and and yeah, anybody who's indifferent to film is already lost. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But you know, but the upshot of it is that you have you know these proclamations being made that are not just completely out of touch with the reality of like how how things are for gay people in Palestine completely like it's just completely divorced from whatever's actually happening in the Middle East and and from any of the salient issues on the ground there but it's also like it just gets kind of drawn um dumped down to this like lowest common denominator mean girls thing where it's like just another reason why you can't sit with us that's just that's the whole thing <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i i keep thinking like to kind of zoom out a little bit just like in time that i'm thinking like how crappy a time this would be to be a college student like you're, you're not it's not like covid lockdowns anymore you can't actually be there on campus but if you're at Cooper Union and you're Jewish, you might be stuck in the library because, you know, uh, you're like locked down from some pro-Palestinian protest happening right outside of it and uh, bothering you. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I just feel like this would be like a really weird time to be in college. And again, another, I'm feeling a class of 2005 sense of like, that <laughs> was a better, it wasn't a better time maybe yeah yeah you know in my day um when we got locked in the library it wasn't because there was a you know a bunch of people outside banging on the door yelling about intifada it was because uh we accidentally fell asleep there studying overnight it's just a different time (laughs) yeah it was it really was a different time um so should we uh, do our next topic? Or? Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's okay. Move on. What so else this are we talking is, about? We're talking about, so this is just something I read. Um, I don't actually, we have two possible next topics and I don't know, should we just like briefly confer about Yeah, let's which? confer. Okay. So okay. It's, we're at 36 minutes here. Yes. Um, do you want to do the, the re- book review or do you want to do the ballet core? Let's talk about ballet core. Thank you. Okay. So let's skip the book review. Cause I, I don't have enough to say about those crummy book review, but whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so our next topic is going to be completely different. Now for something completely different, as they say on Monty Python. Uh, ballet Corps. Had you heard of Ballet Corps before we, uh, before we selected it as a topic? I mean, I hadn't heard it at, named as such, but I was aware of it because 
it's such a, I mean, it's like a, such a continuous thing. It's like a through line culturally that, um, I, I mean, I know it's a thing now, but it has also been the thing periodically, like throughout my life, at least, like as long as I've been alive. Carrie and the tutu. Yeah. Sex and, the um, you know, and like the, the New York City ballet bar workout, um, mm. the obsession with being long and lean. It's all of that, all of that stuff. It, it just dates back to an obsession with ballet dancing. Yep. Absolutely. So I had seen ballet corps um, come up just like looking for sweaters online. I, I saw this tag on Poshmark that people tag their sweaters that they're trying to sell their like used sweaters if they're pink <laughs> are ballet corps. And yeah, it just always seems like something for people a lot like younger that they have to put core on everything that they like. Um, everything is some sort of core. And uh, yeah, that's where I first saw it. But then um, I really like this Substack post by BDM, uh, who has a full name, but is writing under the byline BDM. So we'll go with that. Um, and about, yeah, ballet core via Reformation. So had, have you looked at the ballet core? Well, it starts being about that. I mean, it's about ballet core more generally, but it's also about the Reformation, apparently the brand, um, not the Protestant one. Um <laughs> has something called Reformation X New York City Ballet Collect uh, New York City Ballet Collection. That's where you put on a tutu and you nail ninety five theses. Exactly. To- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So you can basically dress like a ballet dancer, but like pay a lot more for it, and it's not actual ballet clothing. But of course, I I clicked on it and looked at the links. And, uh, and looked at the dresses and so forth. And some of them look kind of nice. Although what I can't figure out is there like, these are these polyester dresses for like, I mean, it, it switches to Canadian on my computer. So I think it's like maybe a little less in the US, but it's like, these are $300 polyester dresses. Yes. Is that normal? I mean, it's, even for Reformation, I think it's a little pricey. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Reformation is like, I could go, I could go off on them kind Please of. Please do. Please go off on Reformation. We have it in Canada. I mean, I I don't own anything by it, but I, I know it exists here. It's such a frustrating store, and it has this cult following and that made me assume that the clothes were good, um, but I think that they're just really effective at marketing themselves as, like, the cool girl brand, because I went to try on stuff at the store there one time, and... Um, not only did I really, really struggle to find anything that fit me, um, I guess because they, they have like a fit model. Whoever they're using has a very long torso. Let me just say that. Like um, it was <laughs> I won't know, even bother. <laughs> it did not it did not work for me. Um and but also like it's I don't want to say it's chintzy. It's not like Forever 21, but but I'm actually not positive that the clothing itself is better quality than something you would get at Forever 21. It's more that right. like the presentation, the aesthetic, it, you go in and you feel like you're in someplace boutique-y. And clearly like, I mean, the brand itself must have money because they do have a flagship store in Soho where rents are very, very expensive. But I don't, I don't get it. I don't yeah, get so the appeal. The, the cool girl thing is they are explicit with us. So the ads I keep getting now are Camille Rowe 
X <laughs> Reformation. There's probably some better way to say that. It's the, oh, what do you call it? The collaboration, the brand collaboration, whatever. Camille Rowe for Reformation, whatever, is here. That's the ad I keep getting. It says, for it girls, by an it girl. Now, first I'm thinking Camille Rowe. I've heard of her for years. She can't be a, I'm, how old could she possibly be? Now I have to look this up. <laughs> She's 95. She's 33 years old. Well, okay, that's, mm, eh, whatever. Um, but... Yeah, it's definitely that. And it seems like what they're going for is the kind of, I don't know, I mean, I have not fact-checked how they do this, but sustainability, not quality, if that makes sense. Like that the the plastic that their clothing is made out of is more recycled than other places, although everybody is now claiming that their plastic clothing is recycled. So who knows? Um, I mean, I guess when I see like the the Reformation aesthetic, I used to really like and always was sort of trying to figure out where you could replicate it because the prices were too high and plus they didn't have it in Canada yet Mm -hmm. but uh and so there are some stores where you can find that kind of look dresses like that um that are like Korean stores where the clothing's from Korea um sort of catering to a Korean audience and these are just like around Toronto so you can find some of it there but also just vintage clothing you can get clothing like that out of actually good materials um that uh, is not from Reformation. But mm-hmm. I guess it takes mm-hmm. a little more time because I do think it's like, it's somehow an appealing aesthetic. It's always these kind of, it's already a little bit belly core, even if it isn't um, explicitly belly core. But um, but belly core more generally, I guess it's, what is it? It's that you're wearing like pale, it's like a very specific color scheme of like pale pink, white, black. Um, and it's like kind of, workout wear but not it's like feminine workout wear right well i mean it's supposed to it it evokes what you would wear as a ballerina like if you were i don't know at like ballet practice um bdm's essay goes into this somewhat and it's very funny like I, I remember this from my years um, as a ballet dancer, which I, I abandoned doing um, once I was a teenager and uh, really in my in my mid-teens when I developed childbearing hips and was like, oh, well, that doesn't really go with the whole tutu aesthetic. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she she mentions the fact that like what you actually wear when you are dancing all day long is just like layers and layers of garbage um and like the baggier the better and you just like peel them off one at a time until there's this pile of clothes next to you um and i mean the the idea being i think that like especially for professional dancers like everybody has an amazing body and everyone has the same body like everyone's just super super thin so you don't worry about your clothes being flattering and it's like that's sort of like your expression of how great your body is that like you don't even care about how baggy everything is because it just doesn't matter. And so like the the ballet core is not really even close to what ballet dancers wear. It's more like what somebody who doesn't dance imagines it would be like to be a dancer. So it's aspirational. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, I think that's interesting. It's, it's very much like the whole model off-duty thing, although I guess it's at least a little bit more... Somehow it bothers me. It doesn't bother me at all, actually, ballet corps, whereas model off-duty style always seems a little ridiculous because that always seemed to be just basically here are models wearing normal clothing, but with like designer clothes overrepresented in it because they just have more of it. They look great because they're models, you know, and you're, you're already baseline 
in the culture expected to wear what they're wearing because they model, you know, clothing. So the fact that what they choose on their time off, the idea that they have some kind of exquisite personal style always seems a little ridiculous because no, they just, they look good. They sell clothing with their bodies. That is the whole point. And dressing like an off-duty, you know, Kate Moss is not going to like improve how I look. It's just, it just doesn't turn me into Kate Moss. And I don't know, that always seemed like something to be kind of a little wary of. But the ballet core, I actually really like. I think it looks nice. I, I, not the tutus. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be 40 years old going to my eventual mammograms with, with a <laughs> tutu on. But I think, um, and I have a an almost five-year-old daughter who does ballet and like other dance and like has all of this stuff. And I, I am very conscious of if I'm dressed, I, I don't want to be dressed like I'm four years old. But I like the sort of pink wraps, the pale pink sort of wrap sweater look and with like black pants. I think that's kind of, it's like the gamine look kind of, but with a little bit more pink. And I don't mind that. I think that's nice. It's like the gamine, the feminine gamine. Or is yeah. it, it gamine? Gamine then. No, I don't know. I think it's always <laughs> super confusing. But yeah, I mean, I think it's as looks go. I like it. I'm all for it. And I guess in terms of because I have no real personal connection, though, to ballet, besides like taking a child to dance classes for little children, which isn't the same as this like intense like study of ballet or whatever. um, For me, it all just it it doesn't um, the fact that it's inauthentic doesn't uh, particularly bother me. I'm not offended on behalf of the real dancers because I I can I can't touch my toes like I have no (laughs) dance ability like there's no. Yeah. <laughs> you can't touch your toes? No, it's just like something to do with like leg alignment. It doesn't matter how much I stretch. It's like a weird thing. That, okay. Isn't that weird? I mean, I can touch them. I can I can touch them, but like I can't like stretch as well as most people. No, it's not that I can't like reach my toes. It's that I'm not, I'm not flexible. I'm inflexible in all ways. No. Um, <laughs> ideologically and uh, physically, but... Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of like the ballet core look. I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna just go all out. And, I mean, well, this is reminding. Well, it's making me think of two things. One, um, as I'm just looking at this picture of the um, the quote unquote ballet flats that are made to look like point shoes. Which oh, are they're the, terrible. Okay, those are so those are really really bad. <laughs> they're awful. And I mean, like having worn toe shoes like to to dance in like they're constructed in a particular way they're constructed so that you can literally stand on the points of your toes like that's the only reason why you would wear a shoe that is shaped this way like so are you not going to be spending four payments of 67 dollars with afterpay in order to but with free shipping in order to purchase that i i feel like you would have to pay me to put these on my feet they're so they're so terrible with like the big blocky like I don't understand why anybody it's okay like number one it's ugly but also it's so incredibly impractical like just try wearing these and walking around like I mean you have you've seen what it looks like when ballet dancers are wearing toe shoes and they just try to walk they look like ducks like and and not like sexy ducks like weird awkward ducks um so that's the one thing that i'm thinking is mm-hmm. like this is just i don't know this was a mistake and everyone's going to realize it was a mistake and like a year from now they're we're just going to see nothing but these shoes in like tj maxx for 15 dollars. um but the other thing i was thinking of is how periodically you will have a celebrity do like 
I don't know, a shoot, like a photo shoot where they kind of adopt a ballet aesthetic. And it always cracks me up. There is inevitably this backlash from ballerinas who are like, my culture is not your costume. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like they always earnestly try and it just never quite works. Well, right. I mean, I, I, I don't think it is, you know, it's not a protected class ballerinas. <laughs> like it's a, it's just a, ah, oh, that, that's pretty funny. Um, but I could totally see that happening. I mean, I think people do that all the time. Like doctors watching a medical show and being like, that's not what it's really like or whatever. You know, I mean, but, right. but the idea that of being like genuinely upset about it is, is kind of funny. I mean, ballet flats themselves. I have mixed feelings. I used to wear them all the time and I don't know how, like, I don't think I could make it down the street in them now. But, um, but I really like jazz shoes, like that type of shoe. And it, it took me years to find like a actual sort of jazz shoe style shoe that you can wear, um, around, but I did, I'd found them. So that's what I, yeah. Is it like, like the split sole lace up shoe? Yeah. But like that doesn't have a split sole that has like a thin, but full sole. Cause you need the full sole if you're going to actually wear it outside. Right. Right. Yeah. But I like those. Um, I like what ballet flats look like, um, but they, uh, they're not so comfortable. Yeah. I, I, feel, I feel like they look great on people who have ankles, which I don't. Um, so, you know, good for them. Good for those people. Those people are probably also the ones who could actually pull off the um, the point shoe that's actually like just a shoe shoe. No, that's just a terrible shoe. I don't know. Like, that's just, it's so, it's so bad. I think it's very funny. I think it's very funny that somebody like managed to have this idea and at no point did anybody say like, no, we need an off ramp. We're not doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they need, maybe they need their DEI strategy to make sure they have an authentic ballerina among their designers. This is the next frontier ballerina representation It's actually, you know, okay. I I think this is actually a really good thing. It's sort of like um, the equivalent of one of those, oh, you know, it's like prison to workplace pipeline where, you know, people are like coming out of prison and they don't have, they don't have skills or like struggling to reintegrate to society. And so there are like these work programs. Okay. Well, if you're a ballerina, you can only work until you're like 30. Uh, your 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 career ends very very early, and then you have no other skills. Like all you know how to do is dance and wear ballet clothes. So maybe <laughs> this is going to be this is going to be like a welfare program for retired ballerinas who've been put out to pasture. We're going to funnel them all into um into diversity training where they can like be uh, an authentic voice of ballet experience in all of these places that are trying to do ballet core. Okay, so I, I'm sorry, but like I'm now on the website looking at these shoes for 380 Canadian dollars. You can get also one that's it's um, it looks like a toe shoe, and it's it's made out of 53% viscose, 47% rayon. It's a shoe that you're supposed to actually wear outside. It's made of rayon. It's a fabric. It's a fabric shoe that you wear outside like a dainty fabric shoe in pale pink that you're supposed to wear outside. I would be destroyed instantly. Mm-hmm. But I will say it's less ugly in the pink. It's still pretty ugly, but it's the, the black is, is atrocious. The, Exceptionally the pink is, terrible. Yeah. Anyway, that's, um, that's ballet core. <laughs> well, now that we've educated ourselves about ballet core and, um, also discussed the question of the free the free speech issue once again. So so do, would you say that we we don't support the making of 
0.2 flats, but we defend your right to do it? No, this is this is my limit, in fact. Um, free speech for everybody. You should not be fired for anything unless you are the maker of these shoes. If you are responsible for this, you belong in jail. <laughs> here, here. This has been Feminine Chaos. Sure has. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to hear more like it, you are welcome to support us on Substack at femchaospod.substack.com, where for $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive subscribers-only episodes of the podcast, uh, commenting community, we have open threads, and uh, we'll give you early access to our public episodes like this one. Consider signing up. Phoebe, are you still there? Yes. Oh, I'm oh. still there. I didn't know if we were still saying something. Uh, yes. Yes. Please sign up. Okay. <laughs> I was like, where the hell did she go? <laughs> I am here. I didn't know if I was going to say something. Yes. Uh, uh, please subscribe. <laughs> and that's that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.